0: Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Enjoy the Bible study. And Lord willing, we're going
1: to finish John chapter 12 tonight. And we'll see how far we get. A number of different things that I wanted to kind of share with you tonight. Most of it is straight out of John chapter 12, but there's also a parallel account that shows something interesting um, that is not recorded in the book of John, uh, as in much detail uh, as it is in Matthew and Mark and Luke. So just to kind of give some... uh, some background as to what we had in John chapter 12 coming up to this evening. Passover is coming, okay? When he was at the house of uh, Simon the leper, okay, and uh, Mary anointed his feet and his head with the spikenard. okay, they were in Bethany. We were told at that point that Passover was nigh, Passover was coming. This is the third Passover in Jesus's earthly ministry which is how we figure out how in the world his earthly ministry was three and a half years because of the number of Passovers that we can count recorded during his earthly ministry. And we're told that he started his ministry at age 30 or about age 30 uh, which is the age of a priest to begin his ministry Uh, and that's not coincidental either. and so Passover is coming, we saw in the first half of this chapter, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, as was prophesied by Zechariah, when all of the people said, what, Bob, what did they say? Baruch haba? Bashem Adonai. Adonai. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Except they added, the King of Israel. Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees are upset. Silence your disciples. Jesus says I tell you if, if I told these to keep their peace the very rocks would cry out and so Jesus did not silence those that were saying Baruch Hababa HaShem Adonai he allowed them to give such praise and such worship Jesus never did that if their praise or if their worship was misplaced or had ulterior motives um, as we see so often in his interactions with people both up in Galilee and in the Jerusalem area people are trying just like they do today to get a handout, or to get in with somebody that's you know has authority, has power, has prestige. And Jesus saw right through those instances because he's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. We're going to see some amazing things tonight in regard to his omniscience. Because if you can imagine for a second what it would be like, <clears throat> and I know this isn't possible, but just, you know, if you as a man or a woman, a human being, could at this moment <coughs> know everything. Everything. I mean, what would happen? We would, we would go crazy. We would literally all be insane, probably half a second after being granted that ability. Get on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, get on Jeopardy real quick. Oh, yeah, there's a girl I used to sit next to in fifth grade, and I saw her profile picture on Facebook, and it was her standing next to Alex Trebek. Uh, I guess she was on Jeopardy. Anyway. Um, and I, this is a rabbit trail. But I got to say it, because it's in my mind. Um, my, my best friend's grandmother was on Jeopardy. And she was just a genius of a lady, super, super sharp. Uh, I wish there was a way to like find the episode, the recording, and watch it. But she was just so embarrassed of it. Because you get there in those lights in front of those people, and you just you freeze. Being a genius is one thing. Being able to think under great pressure you know, like that is is, is another. Anyway, if you knew everything and you knew that you were going to die an excruciating death in about six days how would you feel? Oh man! I'd be like put me out of my misery now, you know, can I be put to sleep like a dog? Um, Give me the first injection so that I fall asleep and then you know I don't see it coming. We would go crazy if we knew that we were going to die an excruciating death in six days. Not only the excruciating death physically, but to suffer the punishment of all of the sin of all of us and everybody else that's ever lived and ever would live. Um, to, be, to, 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 to have that, that sin be put upon you. Um, anyway. Uh, It would just be unbelievable. Now, I'm going to kind of foreshadow this a little bit by a question. Is Jesus 100% God? Yes, Yes, wholeheartedly yes, absolutely yes. Is he 100% man? Yes. Yes. Yes, that equals 200% no, you don't understand. Okay, Jesus is allowed to have something that doesn't make sense because he is unique. The only time in history ever that God, fully God, took on human flesh and became exactly as us, yet in one point, without sin. And so, Jesus, being a hundred percent God, means that he knew everything. He knew not only uh, the excruciating death he would die. But he knew every single little facet and aspect of what kind of a torturous pain it would be, and because he's God, and yet he is one hundred percent man. Okay, just like um, Adam, before Adam fell. Okay, he didn't. He didn't have that sinfulness that we inherited from our great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, Adam, okay? Um, So he had human faculties, and, you know, he was hungered, and he fell asleep on the boat, and he got weary with different things physically. That's how he was able to be killed. Um, You know, I've talked to people before, Jewish people about, in the book of Zechariah, where it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And it's obviously Jehovah God, God of Israel, that is talking. How in the world can you pierce God? How can God die? Well, in a very, very special, unique way, because he took on human flesh so that that could happen. Uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, it, told, it tells us that he would be cut off from the land of the living. The Messiah would die. He would be cut off. Um, Anyway, that's also in Daniel as well as in Isaiah 53, Daniel 9 and Isaiah 53. And so the Pharisees are upset that Jesus won't silence his disciples and then we pick it up in verse number 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Which feast is this again, everybody? Passover, okay? So there was Greek people, Gentiles, non-Jews that came up to Jerusalem to be as a part of the feast as much as they could enjoin themselves to those festivities. Because there was limitations on what a Gentile, a non-Jew, could do as a way of being part of that celebration, that feast. The same came therefore to Philip. Okay, So these Greeks, these non-Jews, these Gentiles come up to Jerusalem for the Passover and they come to Philip which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee. Now Bethsaida, um, or Bethsaida, which means house of hunters or fishers. Bob would like that one. How many of you guys like to hunt or fish? Some of you? Okay, I don't like to, I was talking to some kids at the Good News Bible Club on Tuesday, and I asked them how many of them like to fish. And I'm glad that it, if I was a fisherman, I would be like Peter, okay? I would just have a net and throw it in there. I don't want to put a nasty worm on a, on a hook. I don't want to impale a Wiggly worm, I don't know, it's just gross to me. I'd rather have a net. (laughs) But anyway, where was I going with that? Oh, okay, Bethsaida, house of fishers or hunters. Um, Not to be confused with Bethesda. Bethesda, house of grace or shame, where the uh, impotent man was healed in Jerusalem. Bethsaida, Bethsaida as it's written here, is in Galilee. That's where Philip was from. And they desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus, please. So Philip comes and tells Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Now I had to include this next paragraph here because I've heard some teaching before. Uh, That's just a neat thing. I don't want to pass up this opportunity to tell you about Andrew. There's a characteristic of Andrew that we see in the scripture that is something worthy of us emulating in our Christian lives. Andrew was mentioned only a few times in the New Testament but on each occasion we see him doing one thing, introducing others to Jesus. That's what we always see Andrew doing. First he had the supreme joy of introducing his brother Peter to the Lord in John 1. Then he introduced the lad with five loaves and two fishes in John 6. And finally he introduced the Greeks to the Lord in John 12. There is no more important work in the world than this, introducing other people to the Savior. Andrew had been called to this task by the Lord himself in Matthew 4. And Luke 19.10 tells us that we are to be constantly engaged in the same glorious heavenly calling, telling people about Jesus, bringing people to the knowledge of the Savior. We may be very ordinary people like Andrew. But the Lord can use us in bringing others to know him. Andrew did not rank with Paul or his own brother, Peter. We are not told that he ever preached a sermon, but he led Peter to Christ. How amazing is that? And there's the uh, reference there where I got that from. And so, uh, moving on, we got to think about Andrew there. And by the way, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go time-wise, but... I'm not sure. We'll just kind of play it by ear. And Jesus answered them saying, this is what he says to the Greeks that Andrew and Philip brought to Jesus and all those that were around, the disciples. The hour is come. Uh, what did he say to Mary and Joseph when they came to him in the temple when he was 12? And, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're saying, where were you? What are you doing? You know, He said, my hour is not yet come. When he was in Cana of Galilee at the wedding feast, and Mary said, We have no wine, <laughs> you know? And he says, My hour is not yet come. Look at what he says here The hour is come. It's here. He's thinking about his death. And the thing is, the death that he is going to die is not just something physical, okay? There is a spiritual aspect to it. Everything that we've read and heard and learned about what death is in the Bible, what is it? Spiritual separation, right? And so that's what he was going to suffer. And it's not just that he was going to do this historically that it happened, but it's personal because he did it for every one of you guys and me and everybody else that has ever breathed or not breathed. Uh, He's done it for us. And so this is what he's thinking about. This is in his mind. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except uh, what's that next word, Bob? Corn, corn. of wheat. <laughs> he's giving me a hard time because corn is, is is not a biblical crop. Okay, it's a new world crop. Um, here the word is, is is kernel. Okay, it's like a kernel of wheat basically. Uh, except a corn or kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He's saying that something pivotal is about to happen Um, and uh, there's an amazing point here as it gets a little bit further down there's an amazing point here that has to do with a Greek word that's used Uh, for what's about to happen. Something huge something pivotal is going to happen in the course of human history and it's right around the corner and because of what Jesus is going to do and remember how he talked to Peter I think it's Matthew 16 when when Peter says thou art the Christ the son of the living God and then shortly thereafter Peter says you know be it far from thee Lord and he rebukes him you're not going to die and then Jesus responds to him get thee behind me Satan Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. And so he's getting ready for them to understand this. And as thick as they are, and as thick as you and I would be if we were there, it's hard for us to understand. This is our master. This is our our deliverer. This is our Messiah. And he's talking about a corn of wheat, a kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying? This has to happen, he says, uh, so that it'll bring forth fruit, so that a tree or a plant or a crop would grow and then he says he that loveth his life shall lose it, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This parallels something that he said in John chapter 9 with the blind man that was healed, Okay, the man that was blind from his birth and Jesus healed him and then the man found Jesus and accepted Jesus as his Messiah after being kicked out of the synagogue by the Pharisees because if any man would confess Jesus or believe in Jesus, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue that was already in force in John chapter 9. But what happens is the Pharisees come to Jesus after that blind man was healed. And Jesus tells the Pharisees basically in so many words, he says, you're blind. You can't see because you say that you can. It's just like somebody saying, I don't need salvation. I'm all right. I don't need to be forgiven. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I try and do good stuff. And that person is not going to have forgiveness because they are not going to come to God in need of salvation. And so right here, what he's saying, he that loveth his life, okay, like that rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus named this commandment, this commandment, this commandment. And the guy's like, well, I've kept all those from my youth. What, what do I even need to do? I'm, I, I'm, I'm perfect in, in, in that regard, you know. And then Jesus says, well, go sell all you have and then come follow me. And it wasn't that going and selling your stuff is going to get you to heaven. But Jesus knew where that man's heart was. That man's heart was in the abundance of his possessions. He was rich. He had all kinds of stuff. That's the epitome of an example of this verse, verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that hateth his life in this world, that doesn't mean, oh, I, I hate my life. You know, anybody can hate their life. Anybody can be, you know, downtrodden and upset with their life. Celebrities do that all the time and they end up killing themselves because they hate their life. Is that what Jesus is referring to? No. So I I, I have here something interesting regarding this word hate. So, what does hate mean? Hate means hate. Okay? Misio. To hate, hate, hated. And these are the number of times it's translated uh, in these various ways. Hateful, hates, hating. What does this mean? And this is, the, this is where it all rubber meets the road, okay? Where is your heart? The throne of your heart. You know, like we, we are creatures that love to have something to worship. I mean, God created us to worship Him. But we try and short-circuit that and worship every single thing that we see. Things walking around, things driving around, you know. Um, things that are shiny just like a bird you know Ooh, shiny we go and, and, and go after that thing um, where is your heart is it for your life your stuff your experiences or is it for Jesus and so he's saying those that are looking for answers those that would come to him he said to the, in the past to others you won't come to me that you may have eternal life because you think you already got it all or you're striving after something else and so he says those that, that hate uh, he that hateth his life in this world. Meaning, not that I, I, I'm just so upset with my life, I want to get out of here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about choosing him instead. He's talking about having no regard for everything else and striving to you know, run after things and idols, but instead looking for the true salvation, the true peace, the true fulfillment that's found only in him. A person that does that, will keep it to life eternal. And so, then he says this in verse 26, he says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Do you know that when we serve Jesus in any capacity, uh, he said elsewhere in his word, you know, give a cup of cold water in his name, you know, that's something that's glorifying to him. That is serving him. And something that we need to remind ourselves of constantly, something that it says here, is that if any man serve me, it says, him will my Father honor. God the Father will honor you for serving the Lord, for serving Jesus. But then he says this, and this is, this is where things really just, we, we, we get a, a window into the mind of Jesus, what's going on right now um as a as, as a man he's fully god but he's also fully man now he says now my soul now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour can you imagine that i mean we read we, we read all kinds of different things in the gospels we read parallel things in here and matthew and mark and luke and we get to john and we just kind of go through it And we're saying, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with when he said that. But when we look at the words he says here, he says, my soul is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, but for this cause came I unto this hour. He knows what he's about to go through. But the part of him that is human, okay, he's not being disobedient. He's not being doubtful at all. He's just feeling the emotion that comes with being a human being that is about to be killed. He's fully God, but he's experiencing this pain, this torment, this trouble, this sorrow. And so we're told in the book of Hebrews that we have not a high priest that cannot be uh, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was yet in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So that he can say... I've been there, so that he can say, I know. And when we pray to him, when we ask him for strength, when we ask him for courage, when we ask him for peace, when we're going through the loss of a loved one or some crazy traumatic trial, he can say, I know how you feel. He understands. And these are things that God the Father, because he is completely, totally omniscient, knew. 100% new, except not by experience. And Jesus went through those things and experienced them physically, in reality, in what we see and touch here in our temporal universe. He felt those things. Uh, I think I probably have mentioned before, but I'll go ahead and mention it now. Um, Where's Joseph when Jesus is on the cross? He's probably dead at this point. Okay? And Jesus commits his mother, Mary, to be taken care of by John. That would likely not have happened had Joseph been around. Yes?
0: It struck me that he gave that duty to John, mm-hmm. not to his own brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would probably who should have probably at least legally been the next um, the next caretakers for
1: him. I'm not sure what was legal, you know, back then. I mean, certainly Jesus telling him to do that wouldn't have been something that would have been illegal. But I think that um, with Jesus's foresight, you know, James was about to become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and eventually be thrown off the temple pinnacle, and so to give his Um, mother care over to somebody that was going to be eventually martyred. How, how long did John live? He he was the only one that didn't die a martyr's death. They tried, they they tried to kill him. Yeah, yeah. There's some amazing things that we find out about John during the trials of Jesus. Now we read that they all forsook him and fled, but guess who, kind of was still hanging around, John. And so I think that, I mean, we can't say for certain, dogmatically, that this is why and this is why and this is why. But in in, in foreknowledge of who John would be, how he would live, I mean, he was an old man when he died. So certainly he would be around long enough to take care of Mary for the rest of her life. Was he the first one in the tomb after coming I mean, after Mary? I can't recall at the top of my head, I know that the other disciple which is John, outran Peter. We read that in the scripture. So I believe he was the first man to be there at the empty tomb. Um, Anyway, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but that's a good point. It's interesting that he was the one that Jesus committed the care of his mother to and Joseph was not there. So this is my point. Somewhere between The temple, when they're seeking for Jesus when he's 12, and the point when he's on the cross, his earthly father, whom you better bet he loved, he had to watch die and let die. I mean, he had to go through it. Have you ever grieved the loss of a a, a parent, a grandparent, a, um, a cousin, an uncle, a child? Jesus has experienced that pain of loss um, almost for certain because of the way things play out in the scripture. I mean, Joseph being a, 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 a righteous man, he, you know, a follower of the Lord, a man who was humble, uh, he would have stayed with Mary were he alive. Um, okay, continuing on. So this is an amazing truth, Jesus was fully God and fully man yet He was troubled in His soul it says by the thought of what was coming. This is what He went through for you and me. Now what I want to go into a parallel account for for the next couple of minutes is from the book of Matthew. So if you would turn to Matthew 26 in your Bibles. There is an event, a, a description of an event that occurs in the other Gospels but does not occur in John as far as the recording of the description of how the event transpired, and that is Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I am taking liberty at this point to do a parallel account from Matthew regarding Jesus in the Garden. Now I know he hasn't even died on the cross yet in John, but I want to share this with you because of the mode and the, and, and, and the, the status of Jesus' Uh, emotion and his heart and his soul being so troubled at this moment just shortly after they cry out blessed is the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord he says my soul is exceeding troubled Matthew 26 verses 30 uh, through 36 um, starting off here so Matthew 26 in verse 30 let's, let's skip down for time's sake let's go down to verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And so this is something that is it's, it's, it's mentioned quickly in John, but the details are fleshed out here in Matthew. But look at what Jesus says in verse number 38. He says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful and that's azuv ma'od. Exceedingly sorrowful. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the point where you're just, you're not just sorrowful, you're not just sad, but you're just kind of beyond compare, beside yourself with sorrow. That's how Jesus felt. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He has come to know grief, the Bible says. There's a a, a hymn that says, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But this is what he went through for you and for me. He says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He's not saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm exceedingly sorrowful because I'm going to die shortly. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am sorrowful enough that, you know, I'm on death's door with sorrow. And if you can imagine what that is like, maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe you've experienced that, but he says, tarry ye here and watch with me. You ever been just like so either worried or anxious or troubled or just filled with grief and sorrow that you just want somebody to be there? Even just, you know, be be outside the door, you know? I know that when I was sick going through all my trials and stuff with the gallbladder thing and not knowing what was wrong, Um, when I was having those like attacks um, and Joyce I think it was said that it's beyond childbirth yeah so anyway just being glad that I knew that my wife was outside the door you know when I needed privacy regarding those things because it's a horrible horrible thing to go through but just knowing that somebody is there and so Jesus tells them, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go pray. I want you guys to, to, to tarry here, to wait here, and just, and just watch with me. Just be here, he says. And then in verse 39, and we can turn the page here, he says, let this cup pass from me. He went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, O oh, oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the reason I'm bringing this up this whole parallel passage is because of what Jesus says is is very similar in John chapter 12 where he says save me from this hour nevertheless you know he says for this cause I came to this hour but he he says if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as thou wilt. There are no less than 14 references in the Old Testament 14 and three times in the book of Revelation of the cup having a connotation to God's wrath. And so you say, what is the cup? What is the cup? Is it his, is it his physical suffering? Is it his agony in Gethsemane? Um, biblically, from what we look at the trend of how the cup, the phrase the cup, the cup, the cup, in the Old Testament and in Revelation having reference to God's wrath. He was about to experience okay. Um, The full force, unhindered, of God's wrath on everything that you and I deserve, as well as everybody else that has ever lived and will ever live. And so Jesus prayed this three times. And uh, again, I ask you this, is Jesus fully God? Yes. Yes. Is Jesus fully man? Yes. Yes. Okay, so he prayed this prayer three times. He's God. He knows everything and yet understanding what he is going through as man it's just mind-boggling. He's not disobedient. He is not doubtful in any way and yet he is human in God and he's beseeching his father to let the cup pass from him if it be possible. But in the same breath, he says, but your will be done. And so he is just a perfect, obedient Savior. Being in agony, we read in in Luke 22. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Have you ever been under that much stress? No. No. I mean, if I get super stressed out, I get, like, acid reflux, you know, and maybe at the worst I'll get, like, some hives or something, you know, Uh, or, you know, break out and whatever. But I've never, I've never sweat blood before.
0: I think something that needs to be pointed out is when he talks about Jesus and his soul being so, you know, under under stress. Mm Mm-hmm. The soul is connected to the flesh and the earth and the spirit see that's why you see that phrase it says but your will be done his spirit overrode his soul the feeling of his soul his spirit is what led him to do to go to the cross He he, he was a spirit you know his spirit was more powerful than his soul even though he was grieving in his soul the soul connected
1: to the flesh and the earth. Well, I'll put it this way. I wouldn't say that his soul or his, his spirit is more powerful than his soul because explaining it this way, okay? What is our soul? Technically, what is our soul? Let me explain this to you in the way that I best understand it, okay? And so when we die, our body goes to the dust, okay? At the moment of the rapture, that's brought up and we're glorified and in a twinkling of an eye we're changed, we have a new body. But if we're going to be absent from the body present with the lord what part of us is going to be present with the lord it's, it's it's our spirit and our soul so what is a soul a soul this is how i understand it i might be wrong okay but in my mind a soul is who you are okay that's you that's the immaterial part of you um it's 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 hard to explain you know those in like the science fields and stuff they'll try and Figure out everything they possibly can uh, about the human uh, device or whatever, you know. And so they'll try and say that this is, you know, part of your brain, and there's no there's no real immaterial, spiritual part of you and me to the scientific, unbelieving world. And they can't, they can't make account for us, like for instance, the Bible says, God has put eternity in our hearts. We know internally that there's something after this. Now somebody can sear their conscience and say after death, like I think Bill Nye said, game over, it's done, there's nothing but blackness and emptiness and and, and non-existence. But that is going directly against what God has put in our hearts eternity. The unsaved has um, a a conscience, okay, and the Bible says they're a law unto themselves. Knowing what's right and what's wrong and having enough uh, general revelation to know that they are guilty before an all-powerful, almighty God. Uh, but our soul is what makes us who we are. That's the part of us that... Um,
0: it's our senses, our, our smell, our sight, what our cravings are... And I, would also,
1: and I would also say what we say today is our mind and our heart, our personality, okay, our person. Everything of us, everything of us that cannot be touched, And held and felt Um, I believe that that is basically What accounts for your soul Now Jesus had because he was fully man And fully God he had a body He had a soul And he had a spirit And so his soul Who he is as a person Is incredibly Troubled and sorrowful and Agonizing you know even unto death It says but He is also fully God so him being fully God and fully man, okay, is not like you and me where we have this tug of war between the spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh, okay? Um, Jesus, through his decision, just as Adam, okay, did, did Adam have a propensity to sin and to break God's commands before he actually did it? No, he did not, Okay? So he was was perfect, he was innocent, he was unblemished spiritually. He had no sin whatsoever, but the moment that through his own mental faculties decided to take that fruit and eat it, then he fell into sin. And from that point forward, he had a propensity, he had a leaning, he had a desire, he had that thing that every single one of us experience multiple, multiple times a day, you want to do something that's not right. Okay, Now Jesus, he had multiple temptations brought before him. He was tempted before Satan multiple times and other things like that. But what Jesus had was a choice. He had no inclination towards sin whatsoever. And so through his, just like Adam, the Bible compares him with Adam, parallels the two as Jesus being obedient and Adam being disobedient. Jesus bringing life and righteousness and salvation, where Adam brought death and damnation and destruction. And, and, and it's, it's, it's through one man's what that many are made righteous? One man's obedience, and that's the key. And so when he was agonizing over all of the crazy uh, you know, pain that he was about to suffer just in a few short days and here in a few short hours, Okay thinking about how soon that was coming, he had a decision, not a propensity, not a struggle, not one weaker or stronger than the other, but he had a decision to obey. And he was made perfect, the Bible says, and this is hard for us to grasp, hard to understand, that Jesus himself was made perfect through obedience. And that perfection isn't that he became more perfect, okay? but it's in the sense of complete. Experientially as a man in his office as the Messiah, experientially he became complete in totality by his obedience of going to the cross. And so he faced a struggle. Now Adam, in the other hand, and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they weren't faced with Eat of this fruit from this tree, or you're going to suffer a horrible, horrible, agonizing, painful death. So you better eat of that fruit. They had a choice, but it wasn't that kind of a choice. It was, ooh, that looks good. But God said not to. Okay, that was their their choice. Jesus' choice, may I say it this way, in, in humanly speaking, for us, it would have been much more difficult than the choice that Adam had to make. And Adam flunked that test. And Jesus passed with flying colors because he's God. But that didn't make his suffering any less. That didn't make his obedience, um, that didn't make his His, his agony in, in, in what he was about to face any easier to face. I'll put it that way. Because he was God, it wasn't easier to go through. But he, through obedience, became our sacrifice, our Messiah, our Savior, our substitute. And so, and I quoted this verse uh, here, a couple different verses. Um, Skip down here to verse number 39 uh, of Matthew 26. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed. Okay, again, um, and I read verse 39 there. And he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This was the attitude that he had about facing his father's wrath on our behalf. It's a good attitude for us to learn. And the last thing I want to show you here in verse, um, well, I'll just read it here from Luke 22 uh, before we get back to John chapter uh, 12. After all this was done, and think about everything that we just talked about that Jesus was about to go through, okay? It says, and when he rose up from prayer, he was come to his disciples. And and, in what case did he he find them? Asleep. Asleep. You know? Um, He found them sleeping for sorrow, it says. And he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? You know, this is when, I I don't want to say he needed a friend, but it would have been nice to know that somebody was there. And they fell asleep. Now the Bible says he found them sleeping for sorrow. And this brings an extra dimension onto what we find in the garden. And because we're not going to talk about it in detail in John, I'll mention it now. Have you ever been so just overcome and overwhelmed with grief and sorrow that the only way to get out of it is to go to sleep? Okay? And so his disciples, even though we had the thing with Peter where, you know, this isn't going to happen, Lord, I'm in denial that you're ever going to die. And even though at the moment of his arrest, all of the disciples, even John, at least for a couple minutes, forsook him and fled, even though all of those things transpired, we find here that they were sorrowful. They had some sense now of what was about to happen. And they weren't sleeping just because they were tired. It says that they were sleeping because they wanted to get an escape from the sorrow that they were facing. And so we need to realize that these are some things that people have experienced before and Jesus has experienced the epitome of it for us. So that whatever we're going through, I think it's in the book of Hebrews, that he is able to succor or help those that come to him because he understands what you are going through. And so, let's go back up to verse 28 in John chapter 12 again, just for time's sake. I'm going to skip the last, uh, those last about 16 verses I have there in, in, in uh, Matthew 26. You can read those uh, for time's sake about Jesus being arrested and so on. But verse 27, what I just read before we moved into Matthew, um, he says, my soul is troubled. Okay, So he's thinking about his death. He's thinking about everything that we read in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he says in verse 28, he says, Father, glorify thy name. That's all Jesus cared about. Jesus' number one goal was to glorify his Father. And as we see in the book of John, he's not ever um, giving out his authority, giving out his teachings, giving out anything that he has to say or to preach or to help people to understand. He does none of that without mentioning I do nothing without my Father. My Father that sent me told me to tell this to you. And my number one goal is to glorify Him and point you to Him. Uh, He's always, always, always doing that. And interestingly enough, let me see off the top of my head if I can get this right. So Jesus always pointed people to the Father. The Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. Okay? Um, And the Father does the same. Um, Anyway, it's interesting how that, how that works. But he, it says, Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And this is a supernatural thing. You know, like in the book of John at the very beginning, I think it's in John's gospel, maybe it's in Mark, um, where Jesus is baptized and there comes a voice from heaven yes. and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, basically. And it's God talking. Well, here we see the same thing, but it has a little bit more oomph, a little bit more force behind it, because look at the next word, next uh, verse. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered, and others said an angel spake to him. What happened back in Sinai when God spoke and the people heard it? What did it sound like? Thunder. Oh, okay. So there's two things that, at least in my mind, that I can recollect right now, that we are told God's voice sounds like, okay? One is thunder. You can hear thunder like rumble off in the distance, but what happens when it's just like, like right there, like right where you are, you know, like a lightning strike, you know, a couple hundred yards away? I mean, it is just the loudest thing you can possibly imagine ever hearing. Um, imagine that, okay? And the other thing that we are told God's voice sounds like is like the ocean. We were watching some, just, I don't know, an hour ago, an uh, hour and a half ago when I was at home, showing the kids some videos, some old home videos. When we went to Myrtle <coughs> Beach in 2010, and my son was like two years old, and I'm trying to hear what he says. We're on the shore, okay? And I'm trying to hear what he says, and all you can hear is this <sighs> That's all you hear, and that's the ocean. It is just so overwhelmingly drowning out every single other thing that you hear. Um, And it's majestic. And that's that's the voice of God. And so the same voice that was heard in the Old Testament where they said, Stop! We can't hear him anymore. We're going to die. Tell him to stop. We don't want to hear it. We're not going to survive. It's that same voice that says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And so we're seeing all these things come to a head. This is the pivotal point in history. I mean, before everybody decided to change everything, that's how we could tell what year it was. You know, before Christ and in the year of our Lord, A.D., um, those things have been changed. But the cross is the pivotal point of, of human history. Um, and that's the pinnacle of which we are Uh, facing pretty soon here in the book of John and Jesus answered and said this voice came not because of me but for you alls sakes okay I'm using some southern lingo there which by the way is in Hebrew okay there's a way to say y'all in Hebrew Um, anyway but for your sakes now it is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. So he's saying, this is, this is it, guys. It's coming. The judgment of this world and the prince of this world will be cast out. And then he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Which is a verse we've referenced a number of different times, especially looking at like John chapter 6. Where it says that no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Well, what did Jesus say would happen once he's lifted up from the earth? That he would draw all men to himself. Um, okay, so then it says this. This is, this is something that I thought was interesting. Now is the judgment of this world. Do you know what judgment, what the word judgment is? It's right there. Crisis. crisis. Okay, in Greek it's krisis, and that is the Greek word, that's the originating word that we get our English word crisis from. And now is the crisis of this world. Okay, this is where everything is going to go crazy. Nature goes, you know, off the hook and, 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 and crazy things happen. Earthquakes, the whole sky gets darkened and all kinds of stuff goes on. Um, this expression, doubtless, has reference to his approaching death. And whatever he means by judgment here, relates to something that was to be accomplished by that death. Okay, the judgment of this world. It cannot mean that then was to be the time in which the world was to be finally judged, for he says that he did not come to judge the world, John 12:47) and John 8:15). And he has clearly declared that there shall be a future day in which he will judge all mankind. And what day is that? The great white throne judgment, okay? The meaning uh, uh, of it may be thus expressed, and I thought this was concise and, 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 and good, Now is approaching the decisive scene, the eventful period, the crisis, when it shall be determined who shall rule this world. There has been a long conflict between the powers of light, next page, and darkness, between God and the devil. Satan has so effectually ruled that that he may be said to be the prince of this world, but my approaching death will destroy his kingdom. And will break down his power and will be the means of setting up the kingdom of God over man. This is what this comes to mean. The death of Christ was to be the most grand and effectual of all means that could be used to establish the authority of the law and the government of God, Romans 8 3 through 4. This it did by showing the regard which God had for his law, by showing his hatred of sin and presenting the strongest motives to introduce man to leave uh, the service of Satan by securing the influences of the Holy Spirit and by putting forth his own direct power in the cause and virtue of God. The death of Jesus was the determining cause, the grand crisis, the concentration of all that God had ever done or ever will do to break down the kingdom of Satan and set up his power over man. Thus was fulfilled the prediction of Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to Satan, God speaking to Satan in the garden, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And it says, when now shall the prince of this world, okay, in uh, verse number 33 of John 12, Satan or the devil, and there's some references there, John 14 and John 16, which we'll eventually get to, eventually. He's also called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4 and Ephesians 6. The rulers of the darkness of this world, that is the rulers of this dark world, a well-known Hebraism. Um, And so when it says the prince of this world, that's something that in Jewish writings is often used to refer to Satan. Okay. Um, He's also called the prince of the power of the air. And also the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, Ephesians 2. All these names are given to him from the influence or power which he has over the men of this world. Because the great mass of men have been under his control and subject to his will. Um, we read elsewhere that it's, it says that we're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of who? His, his dear son, right? Right. Uh, When it says that he'll be cast out, Satan, or, or, you know, it says, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. His kingdom shall be destroyed. His empire shall come to an end. It does not mean that his reign over all men would entirely cease then. That doesn't mean that when Jesus died on the cross, oh, nobody's under Satan's control. Satan's not ruling anymore. Okay, that's not what it's saying. But that that then would be the crisis, the grand conflict in which he would be vanquished and from that time, his kingdom began to decline until it would finally cease and then be free altogether from his dominion. And so there's a bunch of references there for you. That's from the Barnes commentary. Um, but it, it, it's, it's kind of bringing things to a, to a climax here in this chapter. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law, speaking, you know, the, the, the Jewish uh, scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? And who is this Son of Man? They're saying. Now, who is Jesus talking to here? There's a couple of different things, okay? There are Jewish people there, for sure. The ones that cried, Baruch Habab Shem Adonai. But there's also Greek people that are there for the Passover that we just read at the beginning of this uh, lesson in verse number 20. And so there's a multitude, mixed multitude of people there. They're asking some questions. Jesus says unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. How long is the light gonna be with him? Well, a couple of days before his death, burial and resurrection anyway. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. Uh, I have to say something that I saw on Facebook today and it's kind of related to this, <laughs> okay. Uh, it said that the Bible is said to be a light, right? But it's also said to be a sword. So the Bible must be a lightsaber, somebody said. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, anyway um, it's a light and a sword together. Um, and so, walk while you have the light, speaking of Jesus himself. I am the light of the world, he said. Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. What he's saying in a nutshell is, I'm about to die. Believe on me. Trust in me as your salvation, as your Savior. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. Now, the thought that comes out in verse 34 is: what are you talking about? You know, this thing about a, 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 a kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying. The Messiah is not supposed to die. He's not supposed to be, you know, lifted up in the way that you're saying in your final um, hours. Um, How is this all supposed to happen? He's supposed to rule. How are you going to rule your kingdom if you're dead? The people wanted Jesus as their Messiah slash king now. Blessed is the king of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. It'd be kind of crazy for, you know, and I'm not going to give one political endorsement over any other, but imagine this, okay? 2016, Trump gets elected instead of Hillary. And then Trump gets up there and says, "Okay, I'm about to die now. I have six days to live. What would be the reaction of those that were for him? I mean, that would be a crazy thing, right? And so they're just crying out, blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. And he says, Okay, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, Uh, it doesn't bear any fruit. And I'm going to be lifted up, but I'll draw all men unto me. And they're saying, doesn't the Messiah supposed to be, isn't isn't he eternal? Okay, um, And Jesus explains to them uh, this here. And, and, and lots of times we would think that sometimes Jesus speaks in kind of like a veiled kind of a speech. Okay, The Bible says he does that on purpose. Not only speaking in parables, but speaking in a way that somebody that really wants to know, they'll get it. They'll understand. But those that are like, let's see what this Jesus is saying so we can catch him. You know, and, 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 and get, bring some accusation against him. They'll have no idea what he's talking about. Um, that's why the Bible says that the gospel is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God, the Bible says. The people wanted Jesus as their king. Jesus just mentioned that a corn of wheat doesn't produce fruit until it, until it dies. He's telling them to listen to his words while he is with them. His teachings about light echo back to earlier in the chapters of John. This is a common theme in John's gospel. Um, in him was the light of men, you know. Um, There's so many different passages. I am the light of this world. Um, There's numerous things. I think John 6 is big on that as well. And then in verse 37 it says, But though he had done so many miracles before before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the armor of the Lord revealed? It's hid from those that are prideful and arrogant and not saying that they need salvation or that they need help. It's revealed unto people like you and me. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and that's from Isaiah 53. Therefore, could not, therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes or understand with their heart and be converted that I should heal them. Okay? And what God has done, and this is something that, oh man, I mean, we can be critical of this. We cannot quite understand it. We can kind of just, you know, butt heads with it. But realize that it's because of this that all of you And me as a Samaritan have salvation in 2019 in America. It's because of this. Now, this is not saying that God made them, okay, you're not going to be saved, and I'm decreeing it, and you're not going to be saved. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying like Pharaoh, okay, when God hardens somebody's heart, he allows them to be stuck in their own way. He allows them to continue down that path of pride without breaking through and intervening against their natural tendencies and he did that blindness to Israel has happened in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in and so um, these things that have happened unto his people I mean it was prophesied yeah that they would reject him but through that rejection the Bible says in Romans 11 life is come unto the Gentiles salvation is available to all of us why because God didn't set up the millennial kingdom, you know, for beyond a millennium, back when the nation of Israel said, "Blessed is," he, you know, those that were there. That wasn't His timing. That wasn't His way. Okay, He wanted people like us to have a chance to experience His salvation. Um, and I'm thankful for that. These things said Isaiah when he saw His glory and spake of Him. That last quote, by the way, is from Isaiah 6, okay? When Isaiah saw God's glory, you know, saw the seraphim, holy, 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 okay, that's when that happened. Um, When he saw his glory and spake of him, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. So it's it's, it's, it's not a blank statement saying that, by the way, all of Israel, you're done, you don't have a chance, I've hardened your hearts, closed your ears and blinded you so that you can't, there's always a remnant. Those that truly are desiring of that truth will find it, okay? If they seek, God will send them more light. And there is many, even in the chief rulers we read here, that accepted him as their Messiah. We'll meet them in heaven. We'll say, what was it like on that triumphal entry that you witnessed, you know? But contrary okay, on the other side of the coin, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Meaning they didn't openly say I'm a believer in Jesus lest they should be put out of the synagogue like what happened to the guy in John chapter 9. So they believed, but they were cowards. Okay, okay. last half of the page here. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They made a conscious choice. They made a decision to keep quiet about their faith. Jesus cried and said, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. And so anybody that says that Jesus never claimed to be God is either crazy or not looking because it's there. You cannot say that Jesus is not Jehovah. This is yet one more instance where Jesus clearly states his oneness with the Father. And for those Jewish people that say, like those in John chapter 9, you know, you have Jesus for your, you know, you're following Jesus. We follow Moses. You know, we really have something. I mean, there's that book that says, you take Jesus, I'll take God, written by an anti-missionary Jewish guy. Um, And so, yeah, that's the attitude here that some of them had. And this is the attitude that many have today. And what would Jesus say to them? He would say, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. I mean yes you're believing in Jesus but ultimately and in totality you're believing on the one that you say is your God. You reject Jesus you're really rejecting the one that you say is your God like Jesus said in John chapter 8. He says I proceeded and came forth from the one that you say is your God and you don't know him. If I said I didn't know him I'd be a liar just like you. I'm paraphrasing John chapter 8. Anyway he says I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And there's a number of references there. For time's sake, we won't look at those now. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That ties right back to John 3 and verse 17. It says, okay, no, no, okay stop there, stop there. John 12, 47. You read that and say, okay. So, people that don't believe on Jesus, they're just going to be in heaven with the rest of us. They're going to be good to go. I mean, Jesus isn't going to bother holding that against them. Look at verse 48. He that rejects me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? All of those that have rejected Jesus, Jewish or Gentile, in the last day, what's going to be held up as, you know, exhibit A, so to speak, okay? Here's the footage of you stealing a candy bar from, you know, I took a candy bar when I was a kid from a place called Revco, which eventually became CVS. Here's the footage of you stealing a candy bar, you know. Um, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, you know, look at what you've done. What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus. Jesus died for me. They don't have that to say. Um, That I've trusted him as my Savior. They don't have that to say. And so Exhibit A for them is going to be, look, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why didn't you listen? And that's what's going to, you know, not that verse specifically, but the words of Jesus recorded here in the Scripture, the word that he's already spoken, that's available to us. That is what's going to judge the unsaved in the last day. That's a sobering thought for a lost person. He says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, the God of Israel, the Creator, the one that gives you breath right now, He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak." And I've said something parallel to this before, but Jesus only ever does and says what His Father desires Him to do. He never operates out of sync with the Father and the Holy Spirit, they are one, they operate as one. They act in sync and in unison. As Jesus said, the Father is in Him and He is in the Father. And so, that's a lot of stuff to swallow. You guys got any questions or comments or discussion?
0: Yes. I was just wondering uh, about the voice of God when Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. It, I know that a dove, a dove came down, but also wasn't there a voice spoken?
1: Yes, there was. An audible voice. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Here him. I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. hmm
0: Exactly. say like, whether
1: it was like waters? Or no, no, it doesn't
0: say there. Uh, Isaiah,
1: Jesus, uh, Revelation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and uh, I'll close with this. There's a verse that I love. I don't know the reference. I think it's Psalm. I want to say 37, but I don't think it's 37. But it says, "The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty." Easy verse. There's only like you know, you only have to remember half the words and you got it. But that's a that's a neat verse. And so. Um, Anyway. Jesus
0: said, no sheep, no voice.
1: Yeah. And why and how is it that you and I here today are saved? Because we heard that still small voice and said, yes, Jesus, I will trust you. I need it. I need salvation. Save me. Forgive me. We listened to that voice and we obeyed it. Okay. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And I guess we got some goodies. And... Uh, will be done for the night. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit uh, testifying with our spirit, showing us our need, showing us our, 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 our lost and undone state before you, however long ago it was, almost 20 years ago for me. Thank you, Lord, for the words that we have recorded here. And Lord, we pray for... Uh, any who may be listening um, or some that may listen later if there's any that don't know you as Savior your words Jesus' words perhaps the very words that we just read tonight will be the very words that judge them at the great white throne judgment I pray Lord if there's anybody like that or even here in our midst that it would not be too late and uh, if there's breath in our lungs it's not too late we just pray lord that uh, any that that are able to hear this that don't know you as savior that they would make that decision tonight and lord that you would work in their life and bring them to yourself and that they would give in that they would yield that they would obey and come to you and and plead for forgiveness and salvation because of what jesus has done We thank you for this night we thank you for the fellowship we just pray that you bless the time that we have uh, left tonight and we thank you for uh, the blessing of, of the refreshments as well in jesus name we pray amen
0: shalom this is mark robinson executive director of jewish awareness ministries thanking you for listening to our bible study these jewish awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at JewishAwareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.